Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. Please join with us as we look into God's Word with Pastor Mike Bird. Morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. And uh, today is, is our last message here out of this series of, uh, about being prepared. And uh, it's really the last message or the, really the last uh, summing up of our Lord's teaching here upon the Olivet Discourse. And we've been studying this over the past 17 weeks. And uh, this sermon that our Lord gives is basically a sermon about end times, what's going to happen, uh, when he'll return, what the sign will be uh, for his return. And we've, uh, we've covered a lot of that extensively over uh, the past uh, couple months and few weeks and uh, things like that. And as we've been moving through the end of this chapter, uh, even through chapter 24 and through chapter 25, our Lord then started giving several parables to really illustrate or to really drive home the point of about his coming. And you need to be prepared for his coming. Because when he comes, nobody knows the hour or the time, the season, the day of when he will come, except the Father in heaven only. If you're not prepared, it'll be too late. The door will be shut and it'll be over. And so our Lord warns us and tells us about this unmistakable understanding that uh, we need to be prepared. And so today we're going to look here at this last fascinating teaching that our Lord gives about the judgment. And as we look at this last message, this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Be ready. Because when he comes, there will be an irreversible and eternal judgment. Be ready. Because when he comes, there will be an irreversible and eternal judgment. So let's take a look here at our text here. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, and we'll uh, begin reading here verse 31, and we'll read all the way through uh, uh, verse number 46. First thing I'd like you to take notice of is don't misunderstand the judge. Look what it says here. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is Jesus speaking, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We should never be surprised by the judgment of our Lord, never. We should never treat it like a small thing. This is really the finality of our Lord's judgment here and this is the final climax, if you will, of his message Verse 31, when he comes, when he comes, what is he going to do? He's going to sit on his throne. And when he sits on his throne, what will he do? Verse 32, he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep go into the kingdom, and the goats go away. That's what our Lord does. 
And this judgment here will happen after the close of the tribulation as we've been studying through here out of Matthew uh, 24. When he comes, when Christ comes and he sets his feet back on the Mount of Olives and he establishes his kingdom, he establishes his rule, he will judge and Christ will return and he'll set his throne, sit on his throne in Jerusalem. And notice what he'll be doing. Look what it says, verse 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people. All the peoples, all the ethnic groups, everybody all around the world that's still alive after the tribulation, God will gather all of them together and he will then start to separate them and judge them. All these people are brought here into Jerusalem and he separates them one from another. He separates them into two groups. Look at the groups, sheep and goats. Just as a shepherd sorts and divides the goats and the sheep, so our Lord Jesus too will separate the goats from the sheep. Believers from non-believers. Believers will be taken into his kingdom. The non-believers will be shut out. And so our Lord here, when this happens, we are met with a picture of sheer tear of this separation. And it's really, it's a warning to those who are unprepared who will meet the Lord. Because look at verse number 41, if you look at Matthew 25. Look at this picture here. He says this, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is why I say don't misunderstand the judge. Don't take what he says lightly. Understand our Lord's teaching here and understand what he is saying. I believe there are a lot of people today who don't think of Christ as a judge. They think that he is different from the God of the Old Testament or they think that the Bible doesn't have a message of judgment. But actually judgment is a major theme that is interwoven all throughout all of scripture. In Psalm 711, it says, God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 1, verse number 5, it says, The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Sometimes people look at the Old Testament and they see God and what he's doing and they say, yes, there's a God there. He's, he's angry and he's destroying and he's uh, destroying nations. He's destroying people and he's creating great wars. But in the New Testament, isn't God supposed to be presented as a God of love? Well, the fact is God is presented as a God of love in both the Old and the New Testament. And God is presented as a God of judgment in both the Old and the New Testament. There's really no difference between the two. What's interesting is that when you look at the judgment in the Old Testament, you find that it is temporal judgment, only for a season, only for a time. But when you come to the New Testament, it's eternal judgment that our Lord talks about and speaks about finality and eternal. John the Baptist, for example, in the New Testament preaches, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Not some present wrath, but the wrath to come, future judgment. He said the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John the evangelist said, he who does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God rests on him. 
You come to Romans and Paul says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men who hold the truth. In Hebrews, you read about a fury of fire which consumes the adversaries, a fearful prospect of judgment. You read about a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And then summed up in the words of Hebrews, it says that our God is a consuming fire. James teaches us in the book of James that judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And in 1 Peter, for the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And in 2 Peter, you read about swift destruction, condemnation, punishment, judgment day, the gloom of darkness, the heavens and the earth being destroyed, the destruction of ungodly men. And you even go to the little uh, book of Jude, and you read about Sodom and Gomorrah, that wicked city of, uh, of homosexual behavior and how God destroyed that city and how uh, that city is supposed to be used now as an example of punishment of eternal fire when the Lord will come with his holy angels to execute judgment on all and to, to convict all the ungodly of all of their deeds. So the Bible is full of judgments, full of it. It's all there. That's why I say don't misunderstand the judge. Don't take what he says lightly. So if he says, I'm coming back and I'm going to sit on my throne and I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats, you better believe that that's exactly what he is going to do. Growing up, <clears throat> there were many times that uh, my dad would say, this is what's going to happen if you do this. And many times I didn't take what he said seriously. And you know what would happen? I would be instructed. <laughs> and he would prove to me, yes, I am going to do exactly what I say that I am going to do. And so we should not misunderstand the judge here. You know, one might be listening to this and say, where is all the love? Where is it? Well, you know, when I read the judgment of the judgment, you know what I see? I do see love because love warns. Love warns people of coming judgment. It would be very unloving for our Lord to not warn us and not tell us that these things are going to happen. And so Jesus was a person who showed great love by warning us about that which could eternally damn us. It is in his judgment warnings that it actually maximizes his love towards us. So don't misunderstand the judge here. Be prepared. You definitely don't want to wind up on the wrong side when he separates the sheep from the goats. So let's look here at the second thing here. The heart of the sheep will be revealed. Now notice here, verse 33, look what he says. And he will place the sheep on his right, and, but the goats on the left. Now this tells us something right away. The right hand is the right hand of blessing. The right hand is the hand of honor. The right hand is the hand of inheritance. The sheep are submissive. 
They are gentle, they are docile. The goats, however, are unruly and rough and rugged and so forth. And so they represent here those who are the non-blessed. Now notice what he says to them in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now let's put this in context of what Jesus is talking about here. We're looking forward into the future. We're looking at the end, the finality, the end of it all, the end of the age is what our Lord taught us. And so when Jesus comes and he's, when he's ready to set up his kingdom, he lands there in Jerusalem and he establishes his throne and he is going to rule and he is going to reign. And so he's going to rule the world. And in his coming, which we've already covered in the, in the past there about all the armies that are going to be gathered together against God and he's going to destroy them all. And so in his coming here, he sets up his throne and he collects all these people together on his right. He puts the believers and he says to them, look what he says, come, literally come here, come to me, come into my kingdom. He says, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's what he says to these sheep. To the believers alive at his second coming, he will say that. He will say, come, come into my kingdom. Now, this is a key to understanding the message here. He's inviting them into the kingdom. On what terms? What terms do they, are they allowed to come into the kingdom? Don't miss this. The king does not invite them in based upon their works. You say, what? What about verses 35 and 36? I mean, look what he says here. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Isn't he saying you can come into the kingdom because of your kindness, because of things that you have done? No. You see, you cannot come into the kingdom because of all the social action that you were involved in. It appears that they are based here, this, this idea that they're coming into the kingdom because of all this social justice that they did, but that's not the reason why they're going into the kingdom. Are people going into the kingdom because of their social involvement? No, there's far more to it than that. And it's round up there in verse 34. Look at it more closely. Look what he says. It's extremely clear what he says. He says, come you who are blessed by my father. Literally, my father's blessed ones. That emphasizes the source of their salvation. Why are they going into the kingdom? Because they are blessed by the father. They have been blessed by him. They are the blessed ones of the Father. Well, how did they get like that? What happened? He says, you are entering into the kingdom because my Father has determined to bless you. Here you have grace, the grace of God so beautifully expressed. 
You are coming into my kingdom because God has chosen to bless you. He redeemed you out of his love. And only those who have been called and redeemed will be blessed. And then he says, come you who are the blessed by my father, inherit. Has any of you ever inherited anything? Maybe it was like Uncle Tommy's toenail clippers or something like that, I don't know. Have you ever inherited anything? The only reason why you inherit something is because you're part of the family. People who are not part of the family do not inherit. And so here, because they have been born into the family of God, they are inheriting the kingdom of God. It implies again that they belong to the family of God. And they belong by faith. You inherit what is yours because by faith you have become a joint heir with Christ. So those who inherit are those who belong to the family by faith. You are sons of God. If you have believed the gospel, you've repented of your sins and you've put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, God calls you blessed and he calls you joint heirs with Christ and you inherit the kingdom of God. Now further what it says, now notice this, this is mind blowing. Look at this. Further, he says, you inherit the kingdom prepared for you. And not just prepared for you, but it was prepared from the what? The foundation of the world. Now think about that. God has prepared his kingdom for those who would believe in Christ. And he prepared it before the foundation of the world. And those who believed in Christ responded to the call of salvation and those who have believed that he has prepared it for them. And so when God prepared the kingdom, it was for those who would respond to the gospel, those who would repent and believe. And is, our, is really, is our Lord surprised at anybody who comes to faith in him? I mean, is he like, is he like sitting up there in heaven going, oh, wow. I never would have thought that that person would come to faith in Christ. No, he knows. He knows. He knew before the foundation of the world who would come to faith in Christ. And so he has prepared his kingdom for those who would respond to the gospel. And so he knows. So who is the kingdom for? Only those who are saved. Only those who are prepared Whoever it was prepared for are gonna be going into it. God isn't going to lose any of them. And he knows who it was prepared for. So what about these good deeds then? Because it lists them here. The good deeds here mentioned in verses 35 and 36 are not the primary emphasis of this. The emphasis is who are these people who do these good works? They are those whom the Lord knows. They are those who have been prepared. They are those who will inherit the kingdom of God. Now see, it isn't the deeds alone that qualify them. It's their redemption that qualifies them to be able to enter into the kingdom and to be blessed. He is saying, you come into my kingdom because you're the chosen. And it's obvious that you're the chosen because this is how you have lived. 
The mark of salvation, never forget this, the mark of salvation is always the same. It is always manifested in righteousness. And in this particular case, it is manifested righteousness revealed in one area, and that is the area of love. Just notice what these people do, verses 35 through 36. Six things are mentioned here. Hunger, thirst, estrangement, improper clothing, sickness, and imprisonment. These people have manifested love, manifested righteousness and love in those six areas. And he says, I know you belong in my kingdom because you met all those needs in my case. You ministered to me in those areas. You see, the kingdom is for people who do that for Christ. The kingdom is for people who minister to Christ in that way, who supply a need, whatever that need might be. And in that culture, I believe uh, during this time that these were real needs. People could be hungry, could have no food. They could be thirsty, need a drink of water. They could be strangers without a place, ill-clothed, needing proper clothing, sick, and needing someone to come and attend to their sickness. In prison, needing someone to come and visit them and there to find out why they were there and try to work to try to get them out of prison. That's what they needed that day. And frankly, some of these needs, a lot of these needs still exist today. But in our culture, a lot of those needs are being met, but people still have a lot of other needs, a lot of other hurts, a lot of other problems in their lives, a lot of other anxieties. And he's saying to you, those who have been redeemed will demonstrate that they are redeemed by righteousness in love, by providing the needs of others. And so he says, you've done it to me. The kingdom is for people who do that for Christ. Now notice their response here. So he says, I was naked, you clothed me. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was hungry, you gave me food. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him. He says here, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Notice Christ doesn't call them do-gooders. He doesn't call them social activists. What does he call them? He says righteous. He will say to the righteous, then the righteous will answer him saying, and they say, Lord, when did we do this? We don't know when we did this. You weren't even here. We, we didn't even see you. And I love his response. Look at this, verse 40. And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. What a statement. Can I give you a, a really good principle to live by? When you encounter other believers, other Christians, people who know the Lord, people that claim that their faith is in Christ and Christ alone, whatever you do to them, you are doing to Christ. So if we provide needs for them, we are doing it as we would do it as unto Christ. The same is also true to my shame, to my utter shame. I remember, uh, 
previous church that I was at, and very legalistic type uh, background. Uh, there was another believer that came in and uh, he wanted to get together with me. I was a youth pastor at the time. He wanted to get together and he wanted to uh, put a, uh, an event on in the area that we lived. And uh, I treated that man, another believer with contempt. I treated him like garbage. And you know what the Lord showed me? That that's exactly what I was doing to Christ. I was treating Christ with contempt, treating Christ like garbage because I was doing it to another believer. Matthew 10, 40 says, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. You see, righteous works are the outward sign of a true believer. In scripture, if you go through uh, James, you come to the conclusion that faith without works is dead, right? So if you say that you have faith, if you say that you are a believer in Christ, then you would have righteous works that will prove that, that you do know Christ. Sadly, there are gonna be a lot of folks during that day that are gonna be gathered in the final judgment that day. And they're gonna say this, they're gonna say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name cast out demons and your name done many wonderful works? And the Lord says, then I profess to them, depart from me, ye who worked iniquity, I never knew you. You see, there's none of that going on here in this passage. He doesn't say, oh, I saw how you were casting out demons and how you were holding great meetings and having wonderful miracle healings. He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, when I was naked, you clothed me. He said, when I was hungry, you gave me food. These are small day-to-day little things that prove that a person who is that in the family of God, it proves that they are exercising their faith in righteous deeds through love. In John 13, 35, Jesus summed it up in very simple words. He said, love one another as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you are what? My disciples. So the proof is in manifest love towards others, towards other believers in Christ. If you read through the book of 1 John, that's one of the tests of knowing if you know Christ or not, is if you have love towards other believers in Christ. And so it's in the routine things of life and the caring for those who have need. And you know, I think this is really where we see the true heart behind these who really know the Lord Because basically saved people, redeemed people, righteous people, people who belong to the Father, manifest the Father's love. And they do it through these small acts of kindness and righteous deeds, providing for their needs. Now, specifically, I want you to think about this. Our Lord is talking, if we put this in context, our Lord is talking about end times here, right? What is gonna be the state of the world during this time? There's gonna be no food. There's gonna be people who are imprisoned. There's gonna be believers who are thirsty. There's gonna be believers who do not have any clothes or not clothed very well. 
And he says, these people here who are going into the kingdom, these are believers who saw the needs of other believers and met those needs and were, un, that were, that were unwilling, like they, they saw them. And so they're saying, hey, look, I am willing to be identified with these people, no matter the cost. He says, they provided for their needs. Now here today in America, we got several, all kinds of programs that, that meet people's needs. And I understand all that. But what about the needs in our own church family, right? You know, one of the things that we did, we put these uh, church directories here together. And I would, I would encourage you, I would challenge you to go through it. Look at the names, look at the people, pray, ask, Lord, is there somebody here in this church family that has a need that I can meet? Basic small need. Ask the Lord. And this is something that all of us, we can do. And we can meet the needs of others. Can we say now in our lives that we are manifesting our relationship with Christ by providing for the needs of others? Can we say that? You know, many times I become very insensitive. I want to meet needs, but I don't. John says in 1 John three sixteen, if you see your brother have need and you close up your compassion, then how dwells the love of God in you? Do I live for me or do I live for others? Do you live for you or do you live for others? You see, Christ identifies with these people and notice what he does. Look at this, I love this. Verse number 40, the king will answer him saying, truly I say to you as you did it to one of the what? Least. What is that? The least. Did you know that the least are the ones that need the most? They're the ones that are hurting the most. They're the ones that need the most. They need the most attention. And our Lord says, if you do it to the least of these, you have done it unto me. This is all just part of proof of salvation here that, that we have assurance of salvation is the fact of saying, yes, I meet the needs of others. Do I meet the needs of others? Have I failed greatly in that? Yes, I have time and time and time again. You know, there are people that are the least and you, you just go, oh man. Problem after problem after problem. But our Lord says, if you do it to the least of them, you've done it unto me. And so Christ identifies with the least here. In James chapter two, he really deals with this about the sin of partiality. And he says, if you come to a meeting kind of like this, and there's a person who comes in dressed to the nines, I mean, he looks great. And you say, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, hey, we got a special place for you right here. We got the massage chair right up here. Sit right here. And then here comes the guy that's the least. And we say, here, I think we got a seat over here by the heater vent. Can sit over here. The sin of partiality. And so we have to do it to the least. God help me, God help all of us to show ourselves 
to be his children through this. And he says, if you've done it unto the least, you have done it unto him. Now let's look here really quickly, last thing. The heart of the goats will be revealed. Let's wrap this up very quickly. The rest of the people who are on his left hand, what happens to them? Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed. <clears throat> Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was prepared for the unredeemable devil and his angels who fell. God never had a plan to redeem them. God never had a plan to allow them. Those, those angels and the devil who once served in the throne room of God, who once were pure and holy, when they chose unrighteousness, when they chose the, to do what they did, God never had a plan to redeem them. So what did he do? He created a place for them. And it's a place for the devil and his angels. So God prepared a place for them, but sadly, Men have chosen to identify with the devil in the rebellion and they go there by their choice to a place not even intended for them. You see, God never intended hell to be a place for his creation. God created man so that he would have fellowship with him. But sadly, sadly, people choose to go to hell because they refuse to listen to the gospel, to hear the gospel, to believe the gospel, to repent of their sins and trust Christ. And so he says that they are separated, depart from me and go with the devil and his angels. You see, hell is a place of separation. It's darkness, it's everlasting. It's a place of affliction with unquenchable fire. It's a weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he says to him, go away, you choose it. Why? Because look at verse 42. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. In other words, you never demonstrated the love of God, which is the mark of the manifestation of his presence in your life. You never revealed a changed life. You never showed love for the brethren. He's not talking about the milk of human kindness here. He says, you never gave yourself away to meet the needs of other redeemed people. And notice what they say to him, verse 44. Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger, or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Notice our Lord's answer, verse 45. Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So never with a proper motive, never with the heart of the love of God to do the unregenerate, to help those. He says, you didn't do it. He says, you did not manifest that you knew Christ. And so the unsaved are damned, not because of what they do, it's what they don't do. Listen to me oh so carefully. There's nothing you can do in terms of sin, no matter how gross that sin is, no matter how horrible that sin is, that results in your damnation. It's what you don't do. It's the failure to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's the failure to repent and believe in Christ. Because I could testify and I could say, in my life, lots and lots and lots of sin, things that I did, things that I participated in, thoughts, things that I watched, lots of sin. And so it's not what I did that would have damned me. It's what that I would not have done that would have damned me. And so when Christ made his offer of salvation to me and I responded to the call of the gospel and I believed Christ for who he said he was and I trusted him by faith, then I became a part of the family of God. And that's exactly how salvation works. God, our father, he draws you to himself and you respond by believing in Christ. So people are damned to hell by what they don't do. And what they don't do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They do not respond to the message of the gospel, the call of repentance, the call to believe. It's the sin of unbelief, the absence of faith. So our Lord brings his sermon to an end with a warning. He's coming. Yes, he is coming. When's he coming? I don't know. We don't know. That's why we need to be prepared. That's why we need to know, am I a sheep or am I a goat? Do I have oil or do I not have oil? Do I have talents or did I take my talent and go and hide it in the earth? Okay? Our Lord is trying to tell us you need to be prepared. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.